This morning our lesson will be coming from Luke chapter 16. Uh, this is a familiar story and we want to read through uh, this story. We'll be looking at the rich man and Lazarus beginning at verse number 19. And we'll read through uh, verse number 31. This is a familiar story, but we want to read through uh, the, these verses and consider this story. And, and then we'll make some, some observations. And so, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 16. We'll begin at verse number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, or Hades, he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, Thou have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. What is significant uh, about this story is as these two men went into eternity, their status changed. I want you to think about that as you consider the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In eternity, their status changed. Oh, what I mean by that is, is Lazarus in eternity became rich and the rich man became poor. Lazarus was comforted in eternity. The rich man was in torment. Lazarus experienced eternal peace. The rich man experienced eternal regret. Now I know all of us in this room this morning have, have done things that we have regretted. Things that, that, that we uh, wish we, we could go back and, and undo. We've all said things that we wish we wouldn't have said. 
we have all probably made decisions and as time goes on, we look back and we think, why in the world did I ever decide to do that? Uh, decisions of, of regret. Uh, we, we've all been there. We've all said things and we've all done things that we have regretted. But can you imagine uh, living in that state of regret forever? You think about those, those moments of, uh, of regret that, that come and go. Being, think about being in that state of regret forever. You know, the worst thing about being eternally lost is, is being frozen in that moment forever. Things will, will never change. And we know in this life there will be moments of regret But we know that those moments of regret in this life, generally speaking, they'll pass. And once they pass, we experience that joy and other emotions that we might welcome in this life. But for those who are eternally lost, there is no escape. There is no back and forth. In fact, if you look at verse number 26... You'll see that point. This idea of going back and forth is not there in eternity. There is only regret. And I believe in some sense that in some sense in eternity that that regret is is worsened by the knowledge of the fact that you could have avoided all of that. All of that eternal regret could have been uh, avoided. And so this morning as we come together, we can be thankful that God has, has given us another opportunity to hear His Word. And as we gather to hear His Word, we want to examine ourselves. We want to be sure that, that we're prepared for eternity. We want to be right. We want to, to experience that eternal reward, eternal peace, uh, eternal happiness. We don't want to experience eternal regret. And that's why it's important that we hear God's Word. That we open our hearts and that we take what we hear and we examine ourselves so that we can be sure that we are right with God. Because this morning as we open the Word of God, don't misunderstand the nature of God's Word. God has revealed His Word and His Word teaches us how to avoid eternal regret. How to avoid it. And we ought to be thankful that we have the Scriptures. That we can turn to the Scriptures and that we can learn from the Scriptures and that we can apply the Scriptures to our life. And as we do that, it prepares us for eternity. So let's talk about how to avoid eternal regret. Number one, we can avoid eternal regret. And I know these points are going to be simple and foundational, but never forget it. We can avoid eternal regret, number one, by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn over with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians and we'll read a couple of verses from the book of 2 Thessalonians. I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
Listen to what Paul says beginning at verse number 7. Paul says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Those who never obey the Gospel, verse number 9, will be punished with everlasting destruction. Those who never obey the Gospel will live in eternal regret. And it's so important as you read through these verses to understand what God really wants. What God wants more than anything is for us to be saved and go to heaven so that we won't live in eternal regret. So that we will experience eternal rest, eternal peace. That's what God wants. That's what He desires. In 2 Peter 3, verse number 9, we learn that the Lord is not slight concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants every individual, every human being to be saved on the day of judgment. For what is good and acceptable in the sight of God is to have all men to be saved by coming to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. If we're going to avoid eternal regret, one must obey the Gospel. One must be set free. One must be liberated from the bondage of sin. And we do that by coming to a knowledge of the truth. As we come to a knowledge of the truth, we learn what we must do in order to be saved. And dear friends, there is something that we must do in order to be saved. In order to avoid eternal regret. So many, even in our religious world today, teach that there's nothing that you can do. If you're not a part of of the elect, if you're not a part of the chosen, there is nothing that you can do to avoid eternal regret. That's the way it's going to be. But the Gospel teaches us differently. The Gospel, which is God's power unto salvation, is made available to every person. But one must, as we've noticed from 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9, must obey the Gospel if they're going to avoid eternal regret. I want you to turn now to the book of Acts. I'm just going to highlight a couple of passages from the book of Acts. As you know, the book of Acts is a book of conversions. And as you think about that idea of the book of Acts being a, a book of conversions, there's a question that that you see throughout the book of Acts and it's this question, what must I do to be saved? 
Those who heard the gospel recognized that they had a part in their salvation. And salvation is twofold without question. God has a part and we have a part. Both parts working together to bring about the result of salvation. Of course, God's part, God's love, God's grace, sending His Son to die on the cross, giving us His plan of salvation. That is all of God's part. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, when he says, For by grace you are saved through faith, God's part, grace, man's part, through faith. You see the same thing in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. That doesn't teach universal salvation. What's that, what that is teaching is salvation is made available to every person. Every person can avoid eternal regret by obeying the gospel. God has a part. Man has a part. The book of Acts brings that out. It brings out our part in our salvation. Now look, if you would, at Acts chapter 2. We'll just highlight a couple of passages. Acts chapter 2, notice with me verse number 37. Now when they heard this, those on the day of Pentecost heard the gospel. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, listen to it, what shall we do? What were they asking? What must we do in order to have our sins forgiven? What must we do, Peter, in order to be saved? Look at this other example, if you would, in Acts chapter 9. As you're turning over to Acts chapter 9, we're reading about uh, the conversion of of Saul of, of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. You remember, Saul of Tarsus is, is on the road to Damascus. And remember, he's, he's on a hunt. He's hunting down Christians. He's persecuting Christians, arresting Christians, and he's blinded by a bright light. Notice with me Acts chapter 9, verse number 6. And he trembling, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord. By the way, this is Saul asking the question. Lord, and the Lord said unto me, excuse me, what will thou have me to do? Verse number 6, And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You can write down Acts 22, verse 16. You can see uh, what Ananias told Saul of Tarsus. Arise, and be baptized, and wash away your sins. Saul, calling upon the name of the Lord. Acts 2, verse 37. Acts 9, verse 6. What must we do? Look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. When you're turning over to Acts chapter 10, uh, we're reading about the conversion of Cornelius. In verse number 33, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Cornelius is saying, listen, we're here in the presence of God to hear what we must do in order to be saved. And you can see that that's the content of his question as you read all of Acts chapter 10. 
Those who heard the Gospel, who were pricked in the heart, who had good and honest heart, asked that question. What must I do in order to be saved? This question was, was asked repeatedly throughout the book of Acts. I'll look at one more. Look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is in the city of Philippi. He's arrested. And this is the conversion of the Philippian jailer. In Acts chapter 16, verse number 30, this is what he's asking the Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Remember, he thought that Paul uh, was released, that he got away. He's about ready to, to kill himself. Verse 28, Paul cries out, Do, do yourself no harm. Uh, we're here. That is, Paul and Silas were there. They didn't run away. And he comes and he asks this question in verse number 30. Now, what we can conclude from all of these passages that we've looked at is this. If we're going to avoid eternal punishment, again, that Second Thessalonians 1, 7-9, if we're going to avoid eternal regret, we must obey the Gospel. The Gospel entails the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Gospel simply means good news. Good news about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. How Christ died for our sins and how He was buried and how He arose again the third day. That's the good news that we are to proclaim to a lost and dying world. We're to go into all the world and preach the Gospel according to Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And we learn the Gospel in Romans 1, verse number 16 is God's power unto salvation. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. But as you think about Romans 1 verse number 16, don't misunderstand the word believe. The gospel is not, is not to just to, to, to be believed, to, to just accept the death, the burial, and resurrection. No, it, the gospel must be obeyed. And by the way, that's what the word belief means in the original text. It's joyful trust conjoined with obedience. We're to hear the good news and we are to unite the good news with faith. Faith on our part. Believing the gospel. Responding to the gospel in gospel obedience. If you like writing in your Bibles, by Romans 1, verse number 16, I would circle the word belief and I would write Romans 6, verse number 17. Romans chapter 6, verse number 17, where Paul says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What is that form of doctrine? That form of doctrine is the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection. In other words, we obey the gospel in form. Just as Christ died, so must we die. 
Just as Christ was buried, so must we be buried. Just as Christ was raised, so are we raised from the deadness of sin when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can avoid eternal regret. One must obey the gospel. Remember, Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation. Hebrews 5 verse 9, unto all them that obey Him. Obey Him. As I think about this story in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I don't want to be unprepared on the day of judgment. I want to avoid eternal regret because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, verse number 31. And because of what we're seeing in Luke chapter 16, because of that horrible place called hell of torment, that lake of fire, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What was Paul persuading men to do? To obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see that throughout Paul's missionary journeys. He would go into this city, he would go into that city, and he would proclaim the gospel, and he would encourage people to obey the gospel so that they could avoid eternal regret. Number two, if we're going to avoid eternal regret, not only must we obey the gospel, but we must live according to the gospel. Let's get two passages with me first. The first one is found in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And then the second one will be found in Romans chapter 6. We'll read Philippians chapter 1 verse number 27. And then we'll turn over to Romans chapter 6 verse number In Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, listen to what Paul says. Only let your conversation, your conduct, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He says, goes on uh, to say uh, uh, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Only let your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. We must obey the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but we also must live according to the gospel. That tells me that there's more to the gospel than just the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Oh, it's the heart of the gospel. And that's where uh, conversion takes place. That's where things change. That is my spiritual status. When I obey the gospel, my sins are washed away. As Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, they obeyed the gospel. Acts 18 verse number 8. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, And such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Their eternal state, their status, if you please, it changed when they obeyed the gospel. But once we obey the gospel, we are to live according to the gospel. 
In other words, the Gospel teaches me about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but it also teaches me how to live the Christian life. Now look at the second passage, if you would, in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we mentioned that the Gospel entails the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We see baptism is an important element in reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection. And remember, we have to be buried like Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul mentions that baptism is a burial. Colossians 2, verse 12, teaches us that baptism is a burial. It's a burial in water. Water baptism is essential unto salvation. But now that we've been baptized, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verse number 4. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Underline that. In newness of life. While you're here in Romans chapter 6, let me mention another thought. If you're In Romans chapter 6, Paul's going to ask a question. Look at verse number 21. What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You see the question that Paul is asking? There in verse number 21. Think about the life that you were living, the fruit that that, that you were producing before conversion. That lifestyle leads to death. Now watch what he does here in verse number 22. But now being made free from sin, they obey the gospel. Romans 6, 3 and 4. You become servants to God. You're walking in newness of life. And now you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. What is Paul talking about? How to avoid eternal regret? Number one, you obey the gospel. Number two, you are now living according to the gospel. Now you have your fruit unto holiness. The Gospel teaches us how to live a holy life. A life that is set apart from death, from darkness, from sin. A life that is, that is set apart living for God. Being holy. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart from this world and to be set apart for God's service. Uh, that conversion takes place when we obey the Gospel But after we obey the gospel, we continue to bear fruit unto God. Jesus said in John 15, verse number 8, Here is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. When we become a Christian, we have a a new life. Paul says old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And it should be obvious that we live differently than the world. The Apostle Peter is going to talk about that. In fact, Peter in 1 Peter 4, 1-4 will say that the world will think that you are strange because you run not with Him to the same excess of riot. It should be clear that we are not of this world. We don't live like the world. We don't walk in darkness. We walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7-10. When we walk in the light, we're living according to the Gospel. 
And as we live according to the Gospel, we study the Gospel, we study God's Word, we grow in a knowledge of God's Word, we apply what we're learning from God's Word. Oh, we have to look at things in view of God's Word. Does God approve this? Does God disapprove this? That's the language of 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. We are to test all things and we are to hold fast to that which is good. Now that we are a Christian, we care about what God thinks. And we want to live in a way that brings Him glory, not shame, glory. And so Paul says, listen, yes, you're going through life. You have to reason from the Scriptures. You have to test all things and you have to hold fast to that which is good and you have to abstain from all forms of evil. How do I know what is good? How do I know what is evil? Long ago, God said this about His people. My people are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. It takes knowledge. It takes an intellectual knowledge, but we take that intellectual knowledge and we want it to become an intimate knowledge of knowing God. And the only way that it becomes an intimate knowledge, the only way that that, that we have a relationship with God is by living out the Word of God to the best of our ability. And God knows that we're not going to be perfect. And so He says as we're walking in the light, we confess our sins. He knows we're going to make mistakes. But we have the blood of Jesus. We have access to the blood. Now that we've identified ourselves with the sacrifice of Jesus by being baptized, we have access to the blood of Jesus Christ. We have continual forgiveness as we go through life. Think about the windshield wiper effect. You know, when it starts to sprinkle a little bit, can't see, turn on those windshield wipers. And if you've changed them within a year, it'll just clean your windshield. It'll wipe everything away where you can see clearly. Think about the blood of Jesus Christ as those windshield wipers. As we go through this life, as we strive to walk in the light to the best of our ability, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to stumble. But the blood of Jesus Christ continually washes our sins away as long as we are walking in the light. How to avoid eternal regret. Number one, obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the last point. Finally, number three, be mindful of the second coming of Christ. Never forget it. He is coming back. Hebrews 9, verse 28. I don't know when He's going to come back, but I know that He's coming back. Look at what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter talks about the second coming in 2 Peter chapter 3. And we'll begin reading in verse number 10. He speaks of the day of the Lord. We know that he's speaking about the judgment day. We know He's talking about when Christ comes back to judge the world. Not to establish His kingdom. Not to reign upon the throne of David. Like premillennialists teach. He's coming back, Acts 17, verse 30, to judge the world in righteousness. And so Peter says, but, of that day, uh, but, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, unexpectedly, 
in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with, with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Listen to verse number 11 and verse number 12 with me. Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Because Christ is is going to return at any time, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. Peter, how do I prepare myself? By living a holy and godly life. Look at verse 12. Looking for. This is something that, that you're anticipating. I hope you think about this every day. I hope you think about the second coming as soon as your feet hit the ground. When you get out of bed, remember Christ may return today looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Why the second coming? Because the second coming of Christ gives a strong motivation to be prepared. It keeps... It helps us keep our focus on God as we go through this life, knowing that Christ may return at any moment. You remember in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the second coming. You have to get past verse 36 though. Everything before 36 is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. After verse 36... He's talking about the second coming when He'll come again and judge this world, destroy this world. And He'll ask the question, who is the wise man? That is, who is the wise one when He comes back again? Jesus says the one who is doing. The one who is faithful. The one who is active. The one who is living according to the Gospel, who is busy doing God's work. That's the one that will be ready. Then you get into Matthew chapter 25. And what do we learn? Some will be prepared. Others will be unprepared. The parable of the ten virgins. We also learn in Matthew chapter 25, on that day when Christ comes again, there's going to be a great separation beginning at Matthew 25 verse 33. There will be a great gathering of all people, but then there's going to be a great separation of the sheep and the goats. And on that day, there will be those who are prepared. And for those who are prepared, it will be a day of rejoicing. But then there will be those who are unprepared. And it will be a day of eternal regret. The choice is ours. We don't want to be careless about our eternal destiny. We want to be ready. We want to be prepared. And we can be. We don't have to be caught off guard. We can be ready. And we can welcome that day. And we can have confidence as we look toward that day. We have to obey the Gospel. We have to live according to the Gospel. And we always have to be mindful of Christ's return. We're about to sing an invitation song. Bring Christ your broken life. You know, if we're going 
to avoid eternal regret. That's where it begins. It begins with broken heartedness. Again, that's where it begins. God will take a broken heart any day if He can get all of the pieces. If you've never obeyed the Gospel, we hope that you will do that this morning. We hope you will obey that form of doctrine so that your sins could be washed away. And we encourage you and pray for you that you will live according to the Gospel the rest of your life. It might be that you've already made that decision. Maybe you've already obeyed the Gospel, but maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you're not living according to the Gospel. You know whether or not you're faithful. I know whether or not I'm faithful. But God also knows. Let's examine our lives this morning. Let's be sure we're ready to stand before our Creator and give an account. If you're not ready, we're here to help you. We're here to encourage you. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to do so right now as we stand and as we sing.